On this episode of The Trillist, we have... I'm not 100% sure where I'll be. I don't know what I'll be doing. I don't know how much money I'll make, but I know that, you know, God will provide in some way. It's going to work out in some way. And, you know, tomorrow is going to handle itself if I take care of everything today and enjoy life fully today. And it really taught me how to really enjoy life and embrace everything I have in the present. Those lessons really helped me for things that I didn't know were coming in the future, like a pandemic. Who knows why they didn't even respond to my thank you email and didn't like me. And that's fine. Everything happens for a reason. For more chill content, follow the Trillis Instagram at T H E T R I L L E S T underscore podcast. And check out Sia's Insta at L I N D A L E B B I E. And if you like this video, and I know you do, just admit it, please rate our podcast it will help us with reaching more people and also share it with your friends your family your loved ones just share it hello everyone welcome to this episode of the trillist on today's episode i have jordan williams of the young moguls brand thank you for coming on jordan thanks for having me see excited to chat with you Jordan's just phenomenal. He's a pen legend and I know is already blazing his way one year post-grad. So we can't wait to hear everything that you've been up to within this year. He graduated last year, was part of the class of 2020. So before we begin, Jordan, could you please let me know what your North Star is, maybe what you're currently doing with the audience now? For sure, for sure. Well, like I said before, I'm really glad to be here being interviewed by another pen legend. That's you. So I appreciate that. I am, like you said, recently graduated from Penn last year in 2020. Since then, I've recently started work, which has been, you know, very interesting in a remote setting, but it's been great. I'm back in Atlanta, uh, back home in Atlanta, working for SunTrust Bank down here in wealth management and SunTrust Bank is actually now known as Truist Bank. So it's been great going through that program. And one of my main goals is to be on track to becoming a wealth advisor and being able to build my own book of clients. So that's something I'm really passionate about and hopefully looking forward in the the future. I would say that a lot of my interests really align with entrepreneurship, with investing and, and also analyzing wealth in different communities and sort of helping people be in a good spot to be financially stable. 
however they want to be in their future. And I've also been really interested in real estate and trying to get more into that as well. So excited to chat about all of that with you. Ever since I've known you, you've balanced so many different facets and you're such a multifaceted individual. So I love how you have your job with wealth management. I see MD bells in your future <laughs> and MD managing director for anyone who's like non financy like I am. My roommate taught me those words and so on. But it's awesome how you are involved with so many different aspects of business, whether that be like your entrepreneurial endeavors or your actual job in wealth management. And would you say that to do everything that you do and all the things you're interested in, you have to be up to date on what is going on with the news, both domestically and globally? Absolutely. I think that's a great point. You know, a big part of my job, especially, is sort of knowing what's going on in current events, knowing which trends are popular right now. And especially as, you know, in the future, hopefully when I have my own clients, it'll definitely require me to be up to date on everything going on because clients will be asking about it and they want the person managing their money to know what's going on. And I think that's even good outside of business, just in personal life and watching trends. It's always good to stay up to date with what's going on in the world and, and what people are going through. Awesome. Well, I agree with you 100%. And lucky for you and our wonderful, amazing, precious listeners, we have an economist link to get a discounted 12-week code, a digital subscription for just $19. Ladies and gentlemen, this is such a wonderful news source that lets you know the price of oil, what's going on in the Middle East, how that will affect what is happening in the U.S., and all the different economies and aspects of which company is merging with what and so on. So I want all of you to get your lives and click the link in our description box and get yourself a discounted The Economist subscription today. I've been subscribed since freshman year, have loved it and just continue to be educated and it helps me in every aspect of my life, just like Jordan said. So again, link is in the description. All right. <laughs> Let's get into today's episode. I'm so excited to sit down with you. Before we begin, could you just let me know like what you studied in undergrad, what school you were in, and what were your passions outside of academics and in undergrad? Yeah, for sure. So when I was at Penn, I, I was in work and my focus in, in my studies were mostly in marketing. So I had a concentration in marketing. But, you know, as you know, I love that the curriculum was so spread out and diverse. So all my classes were in, were in Wharton. Some of my favorite classes actually were in religious studies, or I had a few classes on sports and sports business, which I thought was really cool philosophy. I just thought it was really a really good opportunity to kind of just explore anything that I was interested in. But my main focus was in marketing, and, and I would say that business has always been my passion. Entrepreneurship has always been my passion. And the thing I really, really loved about my time at Penn was that I sort of felt like I had a good opportunity to couple you know, the stuff I was learning in the classroom with experience outside of the classroom as well. So 
as you mentioned, during the time at school, I was still running a clothing line called Young Mogul's Brand that I was doing with my one of my best friends, Brandon Iverson. And basically, it was just a clothing line that promoted a positive message of entrepreneurship through the clothing and through the messaging. And great for us. We learned so many different lessons from that that sort of complemented what we were learning in the classroom and gave us that real life practice. And then, you know, probably my favorite activity outside of the classroom where I was at school was running a nonprofit called YED Corp, which stands for Youth Entrepreneurs Diversity Corporation. And every year, every summer, we would throw, I kind of wanted to say throw a party, but we would hold a conference called the YED Summit uh, in New York. And we'd have all these college students from all over the country come and listen to established entrepreneurs. And they would get to meet each other and create these great mentorships. And I learned so much from working with, you know, the rest of the YED team and made so many great connections with the speakers and the people who attended. And through these experiences, I just felt like I learned so much. I was involved on the board for Black Wharton Undergrad Association um, and Muse Marketing Club and a few other clubs. And all around, I just thought that, you know, a lot of those experiences not only taught me so much, but introduced me to people that hopefully I'll be able to stay in touch with for the, the rest of my life. So those those were really great experiences for me. That's amazing. I also am part of Muse, so whoop whoop. Um, shout, shout out, out to, Muse. to them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, YED Yed Corp. That's really cool because I feel like in so many different businesses, but I feel like for entrepreneurs, especially the relationships that you have, really drive your success and what you can do. It's about who you know, and it's really great that you already you along with the rest of the team already started to lay that foundation for a lot of young people. I feel like with our generation, we are very entrepreneurial and we want to start our own businesses and not work for the man and other people. So that's shout out to you for that. And that's wonderful. And I just want to say you did not mention this, but Jordan is a published author. So he has a book titled Breaking the System. And you published it last year. I ordered a book, read it over the summer and loved it. And I wanted to know what inspired you to write the book. And if I believe so, you've written another book before, right? You can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, thank you so much for for that shout out. I really appreciate that. And, you know, I always tell you, I really appreciate you supporting not just the book, but, you know, your mobile's brand and everything else that that always means more than you know. So I appreciate that. And uh, like you said, the, the book was called Breaking the System. And it was a project that I was working on during my junior year at Penn. And really, I didn't know it was going to be a book from the jump. It kind of just started as me sort of journaling and, and just using writing as a way to work through different concepts and work through different things I was struggling with at school, you know, and trying to figure out my path and where I wanted to go in the future and finding my unique route. And writing was really beneficial for me all of the second half of junior year. And eventually I sort of realized that a lot of my my friends at at Penn and at other schools were going through similar experiences I was writing about and thought it might be good to turn it into a book and, and share it for other people and maybe it would help them. So all in all, it was a great experience, but the biggest 
thing that made me happy was, you know, that other people could relate to it. Other people were supporting it. And I think that was something that was really fulfilling for me. And yeah, you're right. So my, when we were a little younger, the friend I mentioned, Brandon, when we were growing up in Atlanta, we actually worked on a book together called Who Needs an Allowance? And it was basically, you know, sort of, I would say breaking the system has entrepreneurial elements and advice, but I don't see it as much as a business book per se. But when we were writing breaking or when we were writing Who Needs an Allowance, it was all about how people our age could kind of come up with simple ways to get their feet wet with entrepreneurship and and start finding ways to channel their passions, starting their their own businesses and it also just talked about other financial topics like saving, like investing, learning those skills at an early age, just so those habits kind of stick for when you get older. So that was a great experience. Breaking the system was a really great experience for me. And it definitely taught me a lot. So it's something that will always mean a lot to me. Yeah. Breaking the system is the reason why I asked you to, I asked to interview you because you've always been such a admirable person, someone to look up to and the black community. You're black, by the way, for the listeners, they can't see you, but you're a young black man who's doing it, you know, killing it out of the ballpark. And I love reading books about inspirational characters, people. Right now I'm reading Shonda Rhimes' The Year of Yes. And I read Charlemagne the God's Black Privilege like two summers ago and also read Gucci Mane's like autobiography, which is like amazing, right? So all of these Black individuals that are involved in like media, entertainment and entrepreneurship and other endeavors, it inspires me. And one of the chapters in Breaking the System You wrote about learning from mistakes and leveraging failures to grow and learn. I remember you specifically referenced an incident at your big banking internship, and I would like you to like speak more about that personally. But I just want to say that from all the books that I mentioned prior, people who are successful have failed several times. You know, it's not just one time. And I think that's something about life, that when you fall down six times, you get back up seven times and just keep on chugging. And I've noticed that this has been a trend for a lot of successful people. So I also know that admitting making a mistake, and I'll let you tell the specific story, can be tough. You know, you screwed up on something and you don't want to necessarily say it, you want to fix it yourself. But you were a big person and opened up about that mistake. So can you tell us more? Can you set the stage and bring us into your thought process as an intern? Yes, yes. So great points. I also wanted to say thanks for sharing those book recs because um, I love reading. I'm always looking for like different book recommendations. So I'm going to take all of the ones that you recommended. I need to add those to the list. And if anybody is listening and you know has any other good ones, feel free to reach out and send them to me because I'm always interested to hear more. But yeah, so I, I think mistakes and failures are really important. And I think I'm realizing that more so the older I get. And I think I'm also realizing how important it is to 
share your failures in ways that you're comfortable comfortable with and with people that you trust. But I think a lot of times we're kind of in a society where we only share our wins, you know, and on social media, we only talk about the end result when it when it turned out good, but we never really share quote unquote losses and what we learn from them. And I honestly think society and social media and all of this would be a, a lot better and people wouldn't have these crazy ideas of comparison if we were more comfortable with, yes, sharing our wins and our successes, but also talking about the things that didn't really work out. And that's something that I have to do better with myself because I I don't do that well. So the book was a way for me to become more comfortable with my losses, my failures, things that didn't work out. The example I used, like you said, was when I was working an internship and the experience was that I had a manager who was kind of, you know, he was always really busy. So he sort of gave me a project early on to work on something that I, we we didn't really talk about timetables. So I sort of just assumed that it was a long-term project to be done with at the end of the summer. So I'm kind of taking my time on it, working on other things. And he reaches out to me eventually and is like, hey, are you done with the project? Like I needed, I needed that last week. And I was just completely caught off guard because before this, it hadn't seemed like he was pressed about it. He hadn't really asked me. It seemed like our relationship was good. But at this moment, he was really upset. He said there wasn't even really a point in finishing it at this point anymore because he needed it last week. And it it really taught me about learning from failures, but it really taught me about accountability because my first instinct was, dude, you're the you're my manager. You're supposed to be sort of leading this project. I'm an intern. You didn't really give me the guidance I needed. And I just realized how important it is to take accountability because when you don't, you know, when you shift the blame, you sort of shift power into other people's hands. So in that situation, me blaming him means that my success in the job is only up to how well he decides to communicate that day or or that week. And, you know, I never want my success to be fully reliant on someone else. So I learned that, you know, I had to step up and, like you said, make a grown-up move and go to him and apologize and say, look, I'm sorry, this is my bad. I dropped the ball. In the future, here's what I'll do better. I'll, from the jump, I'll ask you, what's the timeline for this project? I'll check in with you and I won't wait for you to check in on me. I'll come to you, show you my progress and get feedback proactively. And eventually, because of that failure and because of the honest conversation we had after, I was really able to do better on the next project and still get the return offer. But none of that really would have happened if I kind of just blamed him and got mad and had too big of an ego to to improve and accept the failure. So that was something I learned a lot about. And like I said, like I'm I'm learning a lot more about owning my failures and sharing them with the people that I'm comfortable with forgetting the facade that everything's perfect, that I made it here to whatever point I'm at now without any failures. And I think just embracing that and sharing it, not only does it help other people be secure in their failures and their reality, but it also opens you up a little bit to not be so tiptoey with career, what you're working on. It frees you up to take risk a little bit when you're not scared of failing. And I think a lot of times us not embracing our failures or being okay with them makes us really tiptoe and not take the chances and the risks that could really be really good for us. So 
I think that's super important. It's something I'm still honestly working on every day, but I'm glad you brought up that topic because I think it's really, really powerful. Yeah, you dropped so many gems, so I just want to pick apart a few. First of all, I agree that at Penn, there's Penn Face for those who do not know. A lot of people don't even, okay, say you meet someone at a cafe like Saxby's and they're like, hey, how are you? And your automatic response is to say, I'm good, even though you went to bed at 5 a.m. and you cried and you're tired and you did not get that grade that you needed to get on that midterm and now there's yada, yada, yada and this and that. But a lot of times as Penn students, we'll cover that up with a smile and with this facade. I love how you brought up that word. Acting like everything is perfect and everything in my life is great. And it's kind of like that influencer, rosy colored, uh, what's that word? Oh, God. Filter. There's a rosy colored filter on your life of perfection and perfect internship and great relationship and a robust social life. And then A's, A's, A's and that like magna cum laude GPA, right? And all of that is impossible. It's so stressful to achieve. And a lot of times people don't speak about that. And when they do, it's received well. I remember as someone who's out here, I don't want to call myself like a public figure, but I'm, I'm in the public a bit. And I feel this immense pressure to be that Instagram baddie. But then I also want to stay true to myself and not, I want people when they see me in person to recognize me <laughs> and say, oh, that's Sia and so on. So there's this fight between this is what I need to do to get those likes and then this is what I want to do to stay true to myself. And it's been really toxic. I delete Instagram unless I have to go on for like the trillist purposes or like other things. But I say this to say that it's, I one time opened up about, I think last year in the fall, and I was kind of drunk. I came from smokes. I was of age, I was 21. (laughs) And I cried about not being perfect. I don't like my teeth. I don't think it's something I've spoken about like on the trillist but they're not as perfect as they could be. I have two sets of canines and they're not like perfectly aligned. But other than that, like my dental health is like amazing and my physical health is great. So why the hell do I care so much about freaking teeth? And I spoke about that on my story and so many people responded to that just saying how they feel insecure about little things like that and it really was touching to see that someone who they wouldn't necessarily think struggled with this is struggling with it, right? So thank you for bringing that up, Jordan, because I'm sure so many people have made that mistake. And it's like, well, he should have told me like when it was due and so on. But then you think you're kicking yourself like I should have asked and so on. And it reminds me going back to Charlemagne's Black Privilege. I read that before my internship at Viacom CBS. And what a main gem I got from that book is that as an intern, always be happy to do anything. Never think you're above anything and too good for something. And also humble yourself. And something I saw in your story 
is that you did humble yourself and that turned out for the better with you getting the return offer. So thank you so much for speaking to that. And going back to Penn, how do you think, I don't know if this is like on an institutional level or a social phenomena level, how do you think Penn as a community, a greater community, can improve this struggle with Penn Face and trying to put on a facade of life is perfect that can be harmful wow yeah that's that's such a important and loaded topic i think naturally it's really hard because it's really hard because of how you even get to pen in the first place to be honest it's a school that obviously we all loved and strive for because it's prestigious and even to get in you kind of had to put on a facade you you're your resume has to look nice. Your GPA has to be perfect. Your ACT, SAT scores have to be top notch. So it's, it's realistically, it's hard to have to follow that format to get in and then all of a sudden change to not really be a people pleaser or not be totally consumed with the idea of perfection because that's what almost got most of us to pin, if we're being honest. But so it's easier said than done. And to be fair, it's not just Penn, right? It's it's everywhere in our society. It's getting into pretty much any college. It's getting any job. It's on your sports teams and whatever dance clubs or whatever activities you may do. Society is kind of full of these systems that force us to be people pleasers and to have to put on a facade to be perfect and make a first a great first impression if we if we want to get the successful result. And I don't think that means we have to get to the point where we don't completely care what people think. I think it's important to to care what people think and to to be considerate and to care about reputation. I think it gets dangerous if you completely don't care at all. But I I do think there's got to be some things on the hopefully institutional or school level that make people feel more comfortable. I know that one of the things that Wharton had done at some point was having like a a sort of event where people could sort of share their L's or like their their stories where that didn't really work out for them. And it was almost like a an open mic type of thing where people could come up, share their stories that were failures. And I thought that was it sure is really vulnerable, but I thought it was really powerful because, you know, it's not just you sharing, it's everybody going up and sharing. And I think there's power, there's so much power that comes when you own whatever that story is or whatever that failure is or whatever that insecurity is. And not only is that power good for yourself, but it has a really powerful impact for other people around you. It it makes them feel more comfortable to do the same thing. And I think honestly, I found that it even attracts people to you when they show that you you embrace your imperfections and you embrace your reality and you're comfortable in it. So, you know, I think it's hard for for Penn to do, to be honest, because Penn even does it itself in terms of having to appear to be the perfect school and appear to get rid of any past blemishes or past issues in their history. So I think Sometimes it's important to realize that we're all struggling with this on every level, right? Like corporations struggle with this because of their shareholders and they need to appear perfect. 
we struggle with this because we need to get in the schools and then schools struggle with this because they need us to come to their schools. So it's almost like a system uh, revolving on not being able to embrace insecurity when hypothetically we all could drop the facade today. Uh, we're just all worried about what will happen if we drop it first. But I honestly think that there are things that Penn could do, but no matter what Penn does, I think it's best for us to try to at least start it ourselves. You can't you can't ever be 100% sure what people will do, but whatever small steps that we can do on an individual level to be comfortable with ourselves and to embrace ourselves and, and also have the people around us feel comfortable to embrace themselves authentically, I think it sort of will spread naturally from there. So that's what I'll say. That is powerful. I love the, we all could drop the facades today. We're just scared to be the first to do that. And that kind of leads into my next antidote and question. So last year, I applied to three internships. Two were in entertainment and one was in tech. And one of the ones in entertainment, they had an on-campus like interview that I went to. And I sent a thank you follow-up email after. I thought the interview went well and never heard back. To this day, have not heard back. But that is fine because I ended up getting an offer for the other internship and then later on got information about interviewing for the tech internship. And if I would have received the offer for that first entertainment company, I never would have, I would have accepted it because it paid more than the other internship at the other entertainment company. And I never would have even interviewed for the tech internship and ended up getting it and loving what I did. And that has led to what I will be doing in the future. So I just want to tell that antidote because who knows why they didn't even respond to my thank you email and didn't like me. And that's fine. Everything happens for a reason. God knows what he is doing. Jordan and I are both Christians, so and I'm sure he can attest to this also. When God opens one door, I am telling you, he is preparing the best door ever for you that will take care of you and be everything that you want and that he needs for you to do. So throughout little things like that, and I have other stories and so on, I have genuinely believed that when something doesn't happen, that's fine. And it's okay to feel bad about it and cry and so on. But my life rule that my motto that I live by is you can cry about it once. I'll give you a day. After that, you have to pick yourself up and continue striving and moving on because better is coming. And I tell other people that as well because everyone has those no's and so on. But I'm telling you those yeses when they do come, it is meant for you and always believe that. So to bring this to my final question, I want to ask you, Jordan, what has been a challenge in like a similar vein, something you didn't get necessarily? It could be academic, occupational, personal. And looking back, how has that no led to a 
bigger yes that is meant for you? That's such a good question. And thanks for sharing your personal experience as well, because I think that's really powerful. I have so many, and it's honestly hard for me to choose one. But the first one that came to mind was, I'm just getting mixed up of how long we've been in this pandemic. But I think it was it was the, the first semester of my senior year. So that was 2019. And basically, it was hard because I knew I wasn't going back to to do a full-time job in New York because from my experience at my internship, I I wasn't really feeling it and didn't really like New York and was honestly just kind of itching to go back home. So I turned down that offer just on faith that something in Atlanta would work out somehow. And so I started recruiting in the fall. I, I always had SunTrust Truist in my mind because they just have such a big presence in Atlanta and they're, they're the sponsor of sports teams. They're very involved in the community. My parents always banked there. So I was familiar with the brand and I thought that, you know, a similar program that I had done in New York might be even better if I could somehow find a relationship with someone at, at SunTrust. So I connected with someone there, but they told me that the the recruiting process for that year wouldn't have started really late until the upcoming spring. So it kind of put me in a weird waiting position and I didn't know if I was really comfortable waiting that long. So I started recruiting for a lot of other stuff. I started recruiting for some other banking jobs and around the same time, pretty much all of my roommates, all of my close friends had their plans for postgrad secured. And so they weren't really worried about that. I was the only one really still interviewing and searching on a daily basis, which I was fine with at first, but time ticked on. It just gets a little frustrating. It gets a little anxiety filled, not knowing where you're going to be. And the reason I use this story is because there were so many experiences where I got so close to an offer with companies I really liked in Atlanta that were more in marketing and it didn't work out. And, you know, another finance job that I really loved that was in Charlotte, I got to, I think, like the second round, just thought for sure it was going to work out and it didn't work out and I didn't end up getting the job. I remember specifically, I had this, it was the only time I had ever done an interview for a consulting job. And I was so nervous going into it. My friends were trying to help me case and prepare. It was sort of like great setup, a company in Atlanta that's, you know, a big consulting company. I was really excited about it. And I went into the interview and it was literally the worst interview I've ever had. I did terribly. It was you know, really embarrassing, actually. And the only thing I could do when I walked out was, was just laugh and and um, kind of just brush it off the shoulder. But all of those different things kind of added up to be really frustrating because it was like, okay, I'm trying to wait. I'm trying to find the thing that's right for me. And none of this stuff is really clicking. And I, I really like what you said, because I think I'm I'm, I'm honestly glad that it happened that way, because it sort of taught me how to be a little bit comfortable in situations that are very full of transition and full of uncertainty. So I didn't know where I was going. And for the longest time, that bothered me. And it kind of taught me eventually to be like, okay, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure where I'll be. I don't know what I'll be doing. I don't know how much money I'll make. But I know that you know God will provide in some way. It's going to work out in some way. And you know tomorrow is going to handle itself if I take care of everything today and enjoy 
life fully today. And it really taught me how to really enjoy life and embrace everything I have in the present, even though everything tomorrow isn't figured out. And even though I'm in the midst of a transition. And so those lessons really helped me for things that I didn't know were coming in the future, like a pandemic, where learning those lessons of being content and really enjoying the present and uncertainty really came to help me. And it was almost like God was teaching me lessons before even bigger experiences came. And I also like what you said, because it kind of also taught me how to really hope and strive for things, but also embrace disappointment. I think a lot of times we think contentment means that we have to act like we're not disappointed. And I don't think that's true. Like, I think contentment doesn't always mean that the reality sometimes won't be disappointing. It's just sort of that, you know, things will work out, you know, things will sort of unfold in a plan that you're not really sure of. And I think a lot of times we try to blunt the blow of not getting our hopes up so that the disappointment won't hurt. And I think that's dangerous sometimes because I think in a way you kind of blunt the excitement that you get if you do get the opportunity because you try to act like it doesn't really matter to you. So a lot of these jobs, it taught me how to be able to still get my my hopes up and to still have faith and to still believe. And if it doesn't work out, to just deal with the disappointment and still be content, but to really enjoy it fully if it does work out and it's something that I hope for and, and really strive and got. And so fast forwarding a little bit, in the spring, I ended up being able to get a interview opportunity with SunTrust. And it was kind of my last, the last interview I had left on the table. I didn't really, if this one didn't work out, I didn't know what else I would interview for. But I just thought that this role was perfect for me. Like it was in my hometown, it was a job that I had basically been interning in the past two summers. And I would, you know, I just thought it was kind of the role that was meant for me. And honestly, I'm glad that the things before didn't work out and kind of taught me lessons because I think I would have turned down a really, a really, you know, great opportunity that I ended up getting and being in now that's been great for me. So that's a, I'm sorry for that being so long winded, but I do think it's important, you know, what you were saying to, to share those moments that it doesn't work out and to know that, you know, disappointment is a reality and those emotions are real. But I think those emotions I just hope that you know people know not to let those emotions not let you hope for great things in the future or you know to dream cautiously in the future. Yes, those the disappointment is real, but those can be great learning lessons to really just strengthen you as you try to strive and and hope for more in the future. I love that. That is the perfect way to wrap up everything and I love how you said we shouldn't try to dull um our excitement for something that's a potential you know i was telling a, a freshman that i've taken under my wing she's kind of like my little sister now so sweet i was just telling her i was like no we have to say what we want and put it out there and say the good i'm a, a big believer in the power of the tongue so i speak what i want into this world and i don't try to say negative things and I feel like it's worked for me. Thank God. <laughs> um, God has been good and I've been immensely blessed. And with all the immense blessings has come trial and tribulation. But through trial and tribulation, it's a fight. It's a good fight. It's worth it. And I just want 
to wish everyone peace and love. If you could please rate and leave a comment on this podcast, that would be great. It would help us be more easily identifiable on iTunes and so on and grow our listenership and tell your friends. Thank you. For more chill content, visit the Trillis underscore podcast on Instagram, T-H-E-T-R-I-L-L-E-S-T underscore podcast. And also visit Sia's Instagram at L-I-N-D-A-L-E-B-B-I-E.